Thank you, my friend. Hey, I, I calculated this a few days ago. 25 years ago, first time I came here and preached. As it's been my privilege to be here in all kinds of settings, high school chapels, Sundays, Bible conferences, and, and uh, this church has just been my friend for 25 years. I have always enjoyed being here, always appreciated Brother Bloom. I mean, 25 years, we were just kids back then when that started. Yeah, just slightly older now. But I, I am honored for the chance to be here. I appreciate this church. I'm honored to be here with Brother Beal. And uh, I appreciate him. I appreciate Ambassador Baptist College. A lot of folks are not aware of what has happened in the Bible college movement over the last 25, 30 years. Most Bible colleges take a totally different approach to training people, especially young men to preach, than they did 25 years ago. There are only a handful of colleges that still do it the way I believe that is proven to be Christ-honored and used in the best possible way. I have the privilege of being a vice president of a Bible college like that. There aren't many anymore. Most of us aren't very large. I am so thankful for the ones that remain. Ambassador Baptist College is one of those that remains. I have sung your praises in a number of different settings. Because of that, thank the Lord for you and what you stand for and what you do. And I'm just honored for a chance to be here uh, with you this week. I uh, mentioned just quickly, and I'm sorry I don't have very many of my books with me. We've uh, uh, got eight books. We took some of the smaller ones and combined them together. But during this COVID era, it is taking forever to get anything printed and shipped. And I used to get books in a week. I ordered books for this trip a month early and did not get them. So I only have three volumes with me, mentioning this one's called The Unbroken Bible, The Incredible History, Accuracy, and Legacy of the King James Bible. And we have a Bible that we can trust. It has endured and survived and surpassed endless array of attacks. That's what I had the privilege of speaking on here the last time I was in your Bible conference. That's one of the books we have over in the corner, and, and we'd be glad to talk with you about all that. If you'd take your Bible and go with me to Isaiah chapter 4, 40, chapter 40. It will sound like Brother Beal and I are on the same theme, and to a certain extent we are. But I want to talk during our times together in the evening about the grandeur of the Creator God. Now, we've missed it. And it's been an interesting time the last six months, and we all know that. It has been an interesting time to be an evangelist the last six months. And uh, we got hit out of nowhere and had meetings can't just like everybody else meetings canceled in march i had six meetings in april all of which were canceled meetings uh first of, in may and in june and uh, but about june we got back to being busy and churches many churches began to move beyond this and we've been pretty busy preaching since june but our country has been racked with division riots uh, incredible confusion over this disease i won't say much about the pandemic, except to say this, nobody knows what they're talking about with this. That's what happens with something as complicated as a pandemic. People spend 25 years studying it after it's over, and they figure it all out. So when they say, listen to the experts, there aren't any. And uh, it has been a time that's created, generated all kinds of concern all around our country. I pastored in Chicago for 11 years. 
the neighborhood I pastored in, even though part of Chicago was a war zone, was relatively safe. But just within these last few weeks of craziness, violence has extended into that area of Chicago, where I used to be. And uh, we're, we're seeing all kinds of things that are causing people to be frightened and unsure and wondering what's going to happen and what does the future hold, where are we? Uh, a lot of folks who study history look at what's happening in our country in this. When the, the Nazis took Germany, I would something even closer, say the French Revolution and what led up to the French Revolution is so similar to what we're facing right at the moment. And uh, you could look at it in so many different angles. And it's just natural. What's going to happen? You, every day you wonder. Every day you're more challenged by the violence, the division in our country. Not just debate. We've always had debate. America's famous for it. But, but real division. And America, some people say America's never been this divided before. Have you forgotten the Civil War? That was real division. But I would say America's never been this divided since the Civil War as it is right now. And we see people passing edicts against church attendance, but legalizing pedophilia at the same time in the same state. I mean, it's a crazy time. We all know that. We have questions. I will tell you, the grandeur of the Creator God mean a lot to us in dealing with that and dealing with those questions. If you look with me in Isaiah chapter 40, and we pick up verse 28. By the way, Pastor, that wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen a pastor do with forgetting an announcement. I just couldn't help but think about it while I was sitting there. I've, my very beginning as a youth pastor, full-time Christian work, a pastor told me, he said, I really need to make this announcement Sunday. He forgot it, and he said to me during the week, you know, I really got to get that announcement made. He forgot it again, and then the next week he said, I cannot miss this announcement. He said, it's your job. Don't let me forget to make this announcement. He said, I don't care. He said, if I don't make the announcement, stand up on the back pew and wave your arms. He forgot the announcement. So I stood up on the back pew and waved my arms just because that's what the pastor told me to do. He still forgot and asked the ushers to help me. It's an experience I will never forget. Fortunately, he, he updated everybody on the account later, but it was, it was a wild moment. Glory. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. They shall wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Uh, Y'all ready? As we go into whatever it is we have to face, and I don't frankly think there's anybody wise enough, a commentator, to, to know for sure what's going to happen over the next few months. 
as we go into whatever it is we have to face, there is a truth that we need to get hold of. We have God to walk with us through this. Man, we should not let that escape us. Matter of fact, as a result of that, and the next several chapters are all about the greatness of the Creator God, but as a result of that, look at verse 10 in chapter 41. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. You drop down farther in verse 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not. Did you know the command that is repeated most often above all other commands in the Bible is fear not? I mean, there's a reason for that. We have been so spoiled in this country that we are so used to the blessings of religious liberty and separation of church and state and the ability to live out our faith without interference, we think that's normal living. It is not. It has not been. It was not in our colonial era of our country. It is not around the world normal. And there is no guarantee that it continues. And when the Lord was commanding all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, when God is commanding people to serve Him, He's commanding them to serve Him in a hostile culture. And so the single most repeated commandment is this, fear not. That's what God commands us. That's what He tells us. He never at any point says everything is going to be easy and everything is going to work out well. He says to fear not. I've watched God do some amazing things over the years. I'll talk about some as we go through the course tonight. But as I was preparing this, I was thinking 1981, out in Nebraska, the uh, county government there in Nebraska, in Lincoln, Nebraska, had ordered a Christian school to shut down. And they did not want to shut down. They felt like they had a mandate from God for the training of their children. And a small school, small town, small church, and the local authorities came out and arrested the pastor and seven men in the church. And they had them in a local jail, and they told the church to make sure the church was not continuing the Christian school. They said, you can be open for two hours on Sunday morning, an hour and a half on Sunday night, and an hour on Wednesday night, and they were going to padlock the building so that they could not have services or school. And that first Sunday morning, some preachers gathered out there in protest of that, and uh, they refused to leave when the two hours was up, and the authorities called the state police, and the state police came and carried them out and dumped them in the lawn, and then padlocked the building and put an armed guard with a shotgun on the inside of the building to make sure they weren't having a Christian school there. By Wednesday night, there were over 1,200 preachers there. I was one, and we were surrounded by folks. Their auditorium was not the size of one section of your auditorium. And so there were some folks inside the auditorium, but there was just, they unlocked it. There was a wall of preachers all around the building. It was something. As every day we would go out and have a service outside the courthouse where the men were kept in jail. And I remember one afternoon, some, some local ruffians, they thought a lot of people in the town thought we were funny and they mocked us. And, and they'd come out and they got a, uh, 
a pickup truck, and in that pickup truck they put these 50-gallon barrels, and they filled them with roll rags and so forth, and you could see them pouring coal oil in there, and they were going to start a fire, and it makes this just awful black, smelly smoke, and it would have come over into the crowd that was having service. I mean, we were watching them do it. And they got up, lit those barrels, all excited. And before God, the wind shifted. And the smoke came back in their faces. And they ended up jumping off the barrels, running, coughing, sneezing. And we were just having the greatest time. Wednesday night came, and we were literally a wall of preachers around the building. They had one sheriff and one deputy who we affectionately called Andy and Barney. And I happened to be on the outside edge of the collection of people, not because I wanted to. I'd gone early to get in the building, and I'd gotten in the building, but people kept pressing in and pressing in and pressing in until we got pushed out the other end of the building. So I ended up on the outside edge. Close enough, the sheriff came up and ordered us to disband, and nobody went anywhere. I could hear him on his radio calling the state police. I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I could hear what he was saying. And he was asking for the state police to come and disperse this crowd of preachers. And they must have asked him how many there were, because I heard him estimate about a 1,000. And nothing happened after that. I mean, literally nothing happened after that. The county gave up. I've watched some folks, and I've watched some moments, and I've watched God intervene, and I've watched God do some tremendous things. We do have a promise that God walks with us. And that promise is pointed out as clear as it could be. The image is, do you not understand who's with you in all this? He's the Lord, as our brother mentioned this morning, capital letters, that's Jehovah, the Savior God. He's the creator. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faith. He doesn't weary. He's not figuring out what to do. There's no searching of understanding. He has everything under control. We'd like to have everything under control. There's no promise that we will have everything under control. The promise is that he has everything under control. And that's who we go into these moments with. Say, man, the problems we got to face, they are too serious. They are too great. They're too mighty for us. Yeah, but he giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Would you understand as we go into these very, shall we say, interesting days ahead, there is a promise, not that we are strong enough. There is a promise that he gives strength to those that are not strong enough. Amen. Talked about in settings where even the youth would, would, would faint and be weary. <laughs> he says he'll cause them to mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, walk and not faint. There is a promise that we are involved with the Creator God in the care of all of this. Would you jump with me over to the New Testament? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6 for a moment.
so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. You do understand to get the second part of that statement, I shall not fear what man shall do unto me, you'd better have the first part of that statement. The Lord is my helper. I remember visiting with friends years ago, little two-year-old daughter, and she's talking away, and she's explaining to me that her daddy and God know everything. So I asked him, so Mike, is that true? He said, well, between the two of us, we do. I said, we've got everything covered between the two of us. I, I'm just telling you, you got this promise. The Lord is your helper. And when you get a hold of that, if you start seeing yourself alone, if you start seeing yourself maybe limited to the strength that your friends around you have, this gets scary. But if you remember, the Lord is your helper. Man, it puts a different perspective on everything. Can I tell you a story? It'll be a little bit long and involved. I think about it uh, when I get the chance to come back to Florida. I had the privilege of being here in Florida for 10 years. It's when I got acquainted with your pastor, involved with a Bible college here, and one that your church supported, and, and we were all very grateful for all that. And when I, when I first arrived in Florida, I had been here three months. And the state of Florida passed a law that gave the state authority over Bible colleges. I thought that was a little rude for a welcome. Because I'm an independent Baptist. By definition and by nature, we do not believe that the state has authority over the church. We believe in trying to be responsible. We believe in trying to be cooperative. We believe in, in not having any problems we don't have to have. But we don't believe the state has authority over the church. And we had to deal with that. We, we got started in a five-year battle here in the state of Florida. Same battle going on right now in Illinois. And it, it's been an interesting thing. Illinois passed exact identical law that Florida passed those years back. And now I'm involved with the Bible College in Illinois, and I have been with pastor and others. I've just taken over responsibility for the fight, but I've been involved in it previously. And we would go and we'd talk to bureaucrats in Illinois, and they always, boy, it's just exactly the same as talking to bureaucrats in Florida. And they would tell us over and over again, we were operating Bible colleges without regulation by the state. And they would say, you can't do that. You're going to jail. You're going to end up in jail. Bureaucrat after bureaucrat would tell us, you're going to jail. And, and we were having this conversation in Illinois. I said, you know, I've heard all this before. I've been in this conversation before. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I, I, I was in this same discussion in the state of Florida. And I heard all the things I'm hearing from you, that the state has to have authority over the training of preachers and missionaries and all that. And we explained to them here in Florida, you don't get to have that authority because... <laughs> The teaching in Scripture is so clear. Christ said his kingdom was not of this world. 
Christ said yes to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But bureaucrats, by the way, love that phrase. They like to stop right there as if there was nothing else in the Bible. But the rest of the phrase, after rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, is rendering to God the things that are God's. Some things don't belong to Caesar. By the way, I believe that is the principle the United States was founded upon, was that government was to be limited. And it was the limits upon government that created the freedom and prosperity that created a record in the United States unmatched that we went from being an infant nation to the most powerful and wealthy nation in the world in an incredibly short period of time. And yes, we had weaknesses and mistakes, but built into our system were principles for trying to correct those mistakes. Well, I'm, I'm explaining this to fellow in Illinois. This is what happened in Florida. We, we, I got here. They passed that legislation. I remember going to the first meeting where they were explaining the legislation and asking them what were they going to do if there were folks who, because they were independent Baptists and had convictions and believed in separation of church and state, could not follow their law. So, well, you know, sooner or later you go to jail. Okay. And, and they would tell, you cannot defy the authority of the state. The state is all powerful. Now, let me be crystal clear. I do not want to go to jail, ever. This is how much I know about being in jail. I was preaching at the Pendleton Reformatory once, and I went in to preach, and when you go in, they would stamp your hand with a stamp. That's what allows you to leave you know, when the service is done and whatever sweating or something, I was coming out after the service and the stamp had faded off my hand. So they grabbed me and held me for 15 minutes while the chaplain came and vouched for me. That 15 minutes is as much as I ever want to be in jail. Okay. I was in Vietnam, 2001, and bless their hearts. They, I, I was there, supposed to be there as a teacher, and I was teaching and all that, and some, somehow they became aware of that. And on the way out, uh, they grabbed me. They put me in a cell for 30 minutes. I hate to even mention it because a lot of believers there labored in prison for years. They grabbed me, put me in a cell in the airport, did not tell me what they were doing. I did not know I was going to be there for 30 minutes. It would have been interesting if I knew I was going to be there for 30 minutes. They just put me in a cell. I had no idea what was going to happen, what was going to take place. In 30 minutes, they came and got me, told me they were putting on a, me on an airplane, and I had to go. And, and frankly, they, they gave somebody the job of walking me to the airplane and making sure I got on. That was the most wasted job in the history of the planet. Because I promise you, I was going to the airplane and getting on. So that's my total experience. I got 15 minutes there and 30 minutes there. That will last me for a lifetime. But the idea that the state and those who were hostile to the things of God were all powerful, just wasn't true. We protested. We had literally hundreds of conversations with bureaucrats, legislators here in the state of Florida. I remember talking with with one of them and trying to explain our position and, and saying, you know, on the best day of my life, I don't know how to train a government bureaucrat. I just don't know. But I said, on the best day of your life, you don't know how to train a preacher and a missionary. I said, you train the bureaucrats, we'll train the preachers and missionaries, we'll all live happily ever after. This went on for some time. 
back during the Jeb Bush administration. I tell this story, and a lot of people think we were fighting liberal Democrats, but this is back during the Jeb Bush administration. And I asked one of them one time, I said, just exactly how many, because they were threatening to put a president of a small Bible college in jail, I said, how many religious right preachers does Governor Bush want to put in jail in an election year? Just wondering. This, this goes on and on and on and on. And I could take forever telling you the story. And then one day I'm picking up the local newspaper there in Haines City. And in the local newspaper it says the governor has appointed a new commissioner uh, to head the Bureau for Independent Colleges. And it was a man from right there in Haines City. Not only was he there, I knew him. Landmark had bought five buildings from the First Presbyterian Church, and I had negotiated for Landmark. He was an elder at the First Presbyterian Church, and I negotiated for the church, the Presbyterian Church, and we'd spent hours and hours together working out all that. So I called him, and I said, by the way, congratulations on your new position. It's very impressive, importantly. Did, has anybody at your new office told you that we're in defiance of your commission and you're threatening to send us to jail? And he said, no. I said, well, maybe we should update you on that. So he came over to my office. I went through everything with him. He looked at me and said, I want you to understand something. He said, I'm a Christian before I'm a politician. He said, as long as I'm in this position, that law will never be enforced. And he said, I will do everything in my power to help you change it. And he did. It made a difference when we started going, talking to legislators, saying we have a problem with commission, independent commission on colleges, et cetera, commission for independent colleges, whatever the wording was. But I had the president of the commission with me. And he was saying, we don't want to regulate them. We want this law to go away. But still, there were political forces, Bureau of Education, all that, very, very opposed to us. And we were going to all these meetings and talking, and, and a fellow was there at one of the meetings, and he came up to me afterwards, and he was a lobbyist for the uh, career colleges uh, that are all over Florida, $500 an hour lobbyist. And he said, this is nuts. He said, why do these people want to regulate you? He said, I know for a fact they can't run their own colleges. He said, when the time comes that you're pushing for legislation, call me. He said, I'll give you a week free. We get to the push. And, and now we're going in. I have the chairman of the commission and a $500 an hour lobbyist. We're going in making our case. Some preachers came up to help us. and uh, Too many people to go to, to one meeting. And I said, man, I wish we had another lobbyist. And we're walking down the halls in Tallahassee. Uh, Dr. Mickey Carter is there. And we walk down the hallway. We're, Dr. Carter, what are you doing here? There was a young man who had graduated years ago from his high school. He'd lost touch with him, but he'd graduated from his high school. You know what he was doing now? He was a professional lobbyist in Tallahassee. And we told him, we, said, we were just saying we wish we had another lobbyist. He pulls out his phone, calls his boss, and says, can I have a few days off? And we now have two professional lobbyists going with us. Long story short, <laughs> before... We were done. One of the state representatives said to me, who are you? He said, Fortune 500 companies do not put on an effort like this. 
I didn't want to tell him I was a guy who was hoping we were stopping somewhere cheap for lunch that day because I couldn't afford anything beyond that. Long story short, they, they said, well, give us something we can work with. I got to write the legislation that became the law 17 years ago in Florida and is still the law. And it said, if your college has a religious name and a religious purpose and you don't take government money, you're not under the jurisdiction of the state. And that passed and is still the law. So I'm explaining this to the gentleman in Illinois and, and he said, well, that can't be true. I said, check on it for yourself. So he did. And he would come back and later say in the proceedings, say, well, since that law passed, they've started 305 Bible colleges in Florida. And he said that like it was a mark against it. We're in front of the Senate Education Committee in Illinois, and one of the senators said, man, I wish somebody would start 305 Bible colleges in Chicago. And our legislation in Illinois has passed the state Senate same legislation unanimously three times. Now, the reason it's had to pass three times, the Speaker of the House will not let it be voted on in the House. We haven't been able to figure out how to get past that. Then I heard because of COVID, and they were going after all the churches in Chicago, and if there was a businessman in Chicago who was paying the fines for the churches and standing with them. And so I, I just called it, could I have 15 minutes of your time? I just, just thought this guy should know what we're doing. And he looked at me and said, I explained it to him. He said, the state should not be giving orders to the church. Period. That's the whole subject. No qualifications, no ifs, no ands. State should not be giving orders. Now we have a billionaire, influential politician in Chicago backing what we're doing, trying to get this changed. And, and you couldn't believe the doors he has opened in the process of that. And, and the state of Illinois hadn't been enforcing their law because it's a pretty interesting legal defense in court that the state Senate has unanimously voted three times that what we're doing shouldn't be illegal. I'm just telling you, we are not alone in all this. The Lord is our helper. That is a promise that we have. He, I'm not saying he never lets anything bad happen to us. Study church history, and it's as plain as day that sometimes he does. Sometimes that's how he is honored. Sometimes that is how he is glorified. But it's also plain as day that he intervenes any way that he chooses whenever he wants to because there are no limits to what he can do. So I said to the bureaucrat in Illinois, I said, you have to understand why I am not afraid of you when you threaten me. Because I can't be afraid of you and him both. And I'm quite confident that he's more powerful than you are. The Lord is my helper. We are not alone in any of this. We have a God that sees everything that is happening and intends to use us in, in fashions that maybe we can't even see or look at or imagine because He is in charge of everything that is happening. And if something happens to us that looks like it's bad happening to us, 
he is using it to his own glory and in his own purpose and in his own work. And he's working out the details all the time and can address anything he wants, any way that he wants, in any set of circumstances that he wants because he's the creator from the ends of the earth, from one end to the other. He has power over everything. We've been praying for some time in Illinois. And if you see any of the news from up there, they're saying, Lord, we have this one person, the Speaker of the House, who will not let our legislation be voted on. We don't know what to do. Lord, maybe he's just got to be out of the way. Been paying attention to the news. Two companies have now been prosecuted for bribing him to get legislation in front of the House. And he's being investigated for that. And this very week, there's supposed to be hearings over that. I'm just telling you, get a hold of who we're working with. Get a hold of who's in charge of this. Me against them? That might be scary. Me and the Creator God against them? Between us, we got discovered. Did you all understand? We are not alone in this business. We are not alone in the days that we face. We are not alone in the challenges that are in front of us. We have a partner in the Creator God. And in the one passage, he said, I'll hold your right hand through this. I remember as a little boy. I'm a bus kid, by the way. Got saved as a 10-year-old bus kid. I do know how famous bus kids are. I helped create that fame. I grew up in a reasonably rough neighborhood. It wasn't Chicago, but it was it had its moments. And I can remember sometimes being afraid, sometimes hiding, and sometimes running. But never when I walked down the street with my hand in my dad's. Because he was a tough character and nobody was gonna mess with him. You know who holds my right hand now? The Lord is my helper. And we've got to get a hold of a sense of this. This is all God's business, and we are not in charge. That's true, might I say, about salvation. So many, many people confused today because they have some sense of what man does in salvation, and it is not what man does, it is what God does. Was in here in Florida back in February, and in a meeting, and pastor said the lady had called the church and wanted him to visit. And pastor wanted to know if I wanted to go with him, and we went. And she's dying, has terminal cancer. She has since passed away. She had terminal cancer, and, and she wasn't saved. And she said, quick, you've got to tell me what I can do in a hurry to earn salvation. She said, I don't have long. And the pastor and I spent an hour and a half trying to explain to her, salvation is not something you earn. It is a gift that God gives. Pastor hadn't earned salvation. I haven't earned salvation. I remember as a bus kid, when I first started going to church, it, it was on my mind because I was around church and things, and, and the idea of doing good and being good was on my mind, and I would say that to myself on Sunday morning in junior church. From now on, I'm going to be good. And then we'd get the bus ride on the way home. After all of us kids 
who did not have our parents there had been sugared up in Sunday school and junior church both. Or on the bus on the way home, and I can remember more than one saying, okay, I'll start being good next week. And then one day, I understood that Jesus Christ died for me on the cross. And he became my substitute. And he paid the penalty of my sin. And I trusted what he did for me. We were trying to share that with that lady. The pastor talked for a while. I'd talk for a while. She said, no, I don't want it that way. I don't want it as a gift. I want to earn it. Now, dear soul, you're not in charge of how this works. He's in charge. Man, have we forgotten that? Even in our independent Baptist churches, we have forgotten that he's in charge. We're arguing about who we should be and what we should be. We're arguing about what moral stands we should take because we don't want the community to misunderstand. But he's in charge. He's in charge. We say, but, but it's not a good business model to may have trouble over this and trouble over that and, and preach against this and preach against that. And boy, don't we want to reach people? He's in charge. We, we talked with her for an hour and a half. We didn't get anywhere, but the pastor let me know the next Sunday that she had come to church and they had talked again. And she still hadn't trusted Christ. And then the next Sunday she came to church. She talked again with the pastor. And finally she said, okay, okay, I get it. His way. That's it exactly. That's the explanation for every one of us on every subject. His way. We have lost the sense of that. And I suspect that as we lose the sense of that, that the Lord will do anything that it takes because he can do anything it takes to get us to pay attention again. People always ask, where were you when the news about September 11th broke 19 years ago? I was preaching in Owensboro, Kentucky. And uh, we had a revival meeting. Monday night, auditorium may be around this size, maybe a third full. Tuesday morning, the attacks came. Guess what it was like Tuesday night? It was packed. And I began to wonder for a while if the Lord had not gotten our attention and things would be different. But a few weeks later, consciousness of it all had faded. What could the Lord do to get our attention? Let's see. Is there anything too hard for him to do to get our attention? Is there anything off limits for him to do? To get our attention? Frankly, God can do anything to a saved person, but, die, but let them die and go to hell, and that's just because of the integrity of his word. They can't do that. We have a creator, God, who is in charge. He is not weaker than he was when our churches were flourishing. He is not limited compared to what he was when we were the mainstream of society instead of the dangerous fringe. We're not alone. We have a God that is in charge. So as a result, you know how we're supposed to face these days? 
these moments, these circumstances. You know how we're supposed to look at this? That we have a partner through all this who is in charge of everything. If you're here tonight, you never trusted Christ as your Savior. Could I plead with you, get a hold of this? It is not your way, it is His way. You need to trust what Christ did for you on the cross. Can I tell you? As we face whatever the challenges that are there, we need to quit asking what our strategy is and start asking what does God want us to do? In a day and age when supposedly everybody has got to revamp their principles, their morals, their doctrines, and their standards, we just need to ask what's God want. Thank God you have a church that has not started playing this game of how can we be relevant to a worldly culture. I'll let you on a hint. You never will be. You cannot compromise enough to be successful with a worldly culture because no matter how much you compromise, they'll just demand more. The Lord is my helper. And we need to grab that attitude as we go into everything it is. Whatever that is. I'm not the prophet nor son of a prophet. But as we go into that, the Lord is my helper. All I need to know is what does God want from me because he is in charge.